to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of the water of life, scotch, Isla, voracious reading, and so much more. Just on Friday, this is really fresh in my mind. Sometimes I take my sweet old time putting out interviews, and I know I've taken a couple weeks, but this just happened Friday. Lynn McEwen, the global marketing director for Brooklady Distilling. You know, I wear the Brooklady shirt. I got a sweatshirt. I talk about this brand all the time. To me, they're kind of the, the punk rock, Scotch Distillery, one of the dark horses of, of the game, and it's really, really a brand that I, I align myself with, I think, ideologically. But Lynn McCune was in town on Friday. She did a private Scotch tasting at Kinfolk, and for those of you who have been to Kinfolk in Austin, Texas, you understand exactly how beautiful a room that is to be drinking Octomore, for those of you who know what that is, a very super heavily peated Single Malt Island Scotch Whiskey, Dark Arts, which is completely unpeated, and some other really, really cool things. So, we drank a lot. Lynn set out earlier than, than I did, I know, suffice it to say. I think she set off to her hotel about 10, and I, you know, in good style, got home around 3 or some shit like that. But the morning after I met with Lynn, we sipped a little bit of scotch and talked about her life and her relationship with Brooke Gladdy, which... You know, as soon as she was a kid, she was kind of born into scotch. So without further ado, I hope you all enjoyed this great chat with Lynn McEwen of Brooklyn. Hello. Um, so I left Isla. So I grew up in Isla. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom and dad still live next door and I still... I have a lot of family there, but I left Isla when I was 17, oh, really? which was very common. Um, this is before Bruchladi started. Yeah. So there weren't actually that much jobs in distilling. In fact, there wasn't really much opportunity at all beyond maybe fishing or farming. Um, and the expectation from a young age is if you want to have a career, then you will probably need to leave the island. So you're right. kind of set up for that thinking. So um, many of us left to do college courses or apprenticeships yeah. or university. So I went to university and then did a bit of traveling. And I actually I came back in August 2001. Uh-huh. And Brooke was started in May 2001. So I missed the opening. Oh, wow. <laughs> I missed the opening. What, what did you set off and study when you left the island? Uh, I set off and studied psychology and politics. Is that right? <laughs> did you... This is the thing, and, and, and I've thought about this question, and having known I'm going to interview you this morning, you know, and like, and I've I've talked to, I, th- I think Jack Teenling comes mm-hmm, to mind mm-hmm. actually, right? His dad's a magnate of Irish whiskey and stuff, and I asked him when I interviewed him, I said, "Is there an expectation that you follow in the family business? You set off to uni, studying psychology, politics. Did your dad ever have any expectation that you must also be in distilling? Never, never." Never. There was, it never, it wasn't an expectation. It was never pushed. I worked at um, Bomore Distillery when I was. Did you really? 
Yeah, I was a tour guide when I was uh, 15 years old. I don't even know if that's legal, if you can be selling whiskey before <laughs> you're actually legally allowed to drink it. But anyway. Well, anyone can talk about it. Maybe, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so I loved the whole whiskey experience was very much a family business for us in the sense that back then, very often instead of taking people to a restaurant or something because yeah. there weren't the same choices as there was today, you know, dad would bring visitors back to the house. Yeah. My mum is even more gregarious and outgoing and dad and a wonderful host and together they just created this brilliant atmosphere and my sister and I would be a part of that. We'd serve yeah. the plates and we'd, you know, bring out the shortbread or the, you know, you know, entertain, sing a Gaelic song, yeah, you know, yeah, right, right. and it was very much um, a kind of family business in that sense because we were all kind of involved in it in terms of the hospitality side. So I, I felt hugely lucky that I was able to be in this tiny wee island in the rocket in the Atlantic, but it yeah. didn't feel small because you were able to meet people from all these different cultures. Right. But I still never put two and two together and go, well, I'm going to make that into my job because I was never interested in the production part of it. Uh -huh. And on Isla, it was only production because all of the distilleries there, all of their, anything that wasn't production is based on the mainland. Right. And, and then I didn't know anything about that. I didn't see anything about that. And there's that whole thing. You can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. So it never even occurred to me that I would end up doing something like that. So when I came back from traveling. Where, where did you travel? Throughout Europe, the States? Um, I went out to Australia and I worked in really super rural places, heard yeah. <laughs> on motorbikes, uh -huh. ranching, ranches, like rounding up cattle and really? bad stuff like that. Yeah, super do you, rural. Do you like that stuff? Oh, it was just an experience. Yeah. It was just it was just the most amazing experience. Just went super, super rural. Mm -hmm. And like again, I did School of the Air where you're teaching. I was in this like super northern territory, super, super northern territory. And I did uh, there's no schools out there. It took like five days to get there in road truck, like this big road truck. Okay. And um it was a family, it was a dad and the two kids, and the dad was going to try and make this into a safari resort. But it was literally just a caravan, uh -huh. and that was it. And two kids, he had two kids. So I went out there with my best mate, and we taught the kids, and we did the cooking. And he was trying to build a runway, because if he could build a runway, then the planes could come in, the materials could right, come in right. to build a house, etc. So no electricity, no hot water, anything like that. So it was an adventure. Dude, I love that. And we were actually just talking about that the absence of technology, right? Mm. To just exist without, like, what text have I not checked? What email, all of that. Do you find yourself, because I, I don't know your dad, he obviously has an amazing reputation. Do you find yourself to be very worldly in that sense, that you're curious about other cultures, other places? I think curiosity is one of the most important gifts that mm -hmm. we can have. So traveling is one way to do it. I'm a voracious reader. Oh, I really? love to read um, big, chunky, non-fiction books, beautiful Isabella Lind's mm -hmm. poetry, you know, just gorgeous things because you just learn so much. So yeah. I don't actually read about whiskey or other spirits. I no, read about no. lots of other stuff. And, I all, and everything I do, I put Ruth Laddie through the lens of it. It's yeah. so annoying. So I'll come into work and go, I've thought of this. I've thought of this and I've thought of this. And they're like, what have you read? I'm like, I've read this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we should be doing this. And why are we not doing that? Um, and I encourage everyone, like curiosity. You've got to be curious. Yeah. You've got to be curious because you can only learn. You never learn anything that doesn't, you know, that's not going to be good for you. That's right. Even if it's bad, you're going to 
it's still going to something. move you forward in some way. I love the. I find myself to be that same way, right? I love people, and I always curious what makes them work, or what motivates them. Do you think? Because I, I really do think going back to technology and all that. Do you think people are losing curiosity? That they aren't as interested in the world and they're not as interested in learning that maybe they might have been 10, 20 years ago? I don't know. I mean, I hesitate to make generalizations because there's so much, still so much cool and crazy stuff going on and yeah. so many engaged young people and who are so smart and switched on and it gives me so much hope for the future that yeah. they really know how to navigate it. You know, they really know how, and I think that's maybe something like not all of our generation we're able to learn to navigate it in the same way because with technology you have to make sure you're looking across the spectrum right. otherwise you're going to trap yourself in a dead end you're going to hear voices that are only similar to yours mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's not good so not necessarily everybody's great at navigating it but i have hope that more and more younger people do i think there's something it is difficult if you don't have that diversity mm -hmm. and the attention span worries me slightly. Yeah. You know, like everything's shortened and shortened and shortened and to actually sit and be with something deep and complex and wrestle with it. Yeah. But I'm not arrogant enough to assume that I have any answers on this. I think information accessibility is massively important for the world. You just need to be smart on how to use it. That's right. You yeah. know, it can, it can democratize so much if it's done with genuine um, bipartisan yes, yes. Uh, openness transparency and ex it, transparency, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's interesting thing because you've been doing the whiskey thing for quite some time now, and actually, <laughs> I would ask you this because the, I've 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 picked barrels and all this shit, but I never had a bottle named after me. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I make a thing, right? Maybe my name's on it. But you had an actual Brook Ladder release named after you. Did I? Yeah, it has your picture on it. Ah, uh, yeah, but that that's Is that's, it a joke? Is it no, someone not taking a picture? No, no. We um when it's really expensive to get to Isla and it's a bit of a pilgrimage. Yeah. Uh it takes a long time. So from day one, we've been incredibly um grateful for the people that have made that journey. That's you it. know. So to support them and to thank them and to show gratefulness to them, we've always made sure that we've we've got a single cask barrel in the shop all the time. Uh -huh. And those single cask barrels, each one has a picture of a staff member. Okay. So all of the staff end up having a bottle with their picture on it, oh, you know, which nice. is great because it's a way to honour the staff. It's a way for people to connect with the individuals, with yeah. the people. Um and yeah, you get uh, and you get the first two bottles of the cask yourself, which is lovely. I would love to say I kept mine, but I didn't. I drank them. <laughs> I'm much more of a drinker than a collector. Same. When the when the moment comes and the people are there, yeah, you got to drink it. So that's why I have a bottle. I, there is one other one that was a smaller cask. So in the very early days of Burladi, when we had absolutely no money and we were struggling to survive, we didn't have pension plans or anything like that. Yeah. So we would get a cask for our pension, and I was a whole a whole cask, but only a little cask. Oh, okay. It was okay. just a it was just a, called a blood tub, so um, I probably you would call it a quarter cask. I so see, just really small. So that was my um, that was my pension that year, and so I <laughs> bottled that, and that had my picture on it as well. I mean, it was actually my dad 
that did it for me as a surprise. I rocked up to Switzerland uh, for one of the whiskey festivals there. It was always the last whiskey festival of the year. It's called Whiskey Ships. Tremendous fun. You know, you're on lots of these different boats are lined up together. And um, we just put your own tunes on and you create your own atmosphere. And I rocked up and I was like, oh, my God. And he'd worked with uh, Bertolt Plutznik, who is the owner of the importer there. Just a genuinely lovely, lovely man. And this was their surprise for me that they'd done this. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it was really lovely. So those are the two two bottles I've had. That's just quite so cool. bad. That's, that's panic, not, it's that's not terrible. Cool. Yeah. It's like, it's not terrible. Yeah. There, there's a quote that I use. It's from Ocean's 13, but it sure as shit ain't sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have anything to complain about at all. It's, yeah, it's I'm delicious. surrounded by great whiskey, and if an occasional one has my face on it, that's not awful. <laughs> I just, you know, I want to work with y'all to get my face on a bottle. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll see how it works. Yeah. Uh, you have to have come and work face. with us then. You've got to Done. just, just Done. work with us. You get, you get a week of my time. I mean, it took me like, it. I think I was 12 years working in the business before I get, so it's a long-term commitment. <laughs> it's not like you walk in the door and go, hey, put my face in a t-shirt, you know. No, 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 no. It's all about commitment and loyalty. Well, if you all have me, maybe I'll do it. There you go. I know a little bit about distilleries. So yeah. maybe I can help out. We'll yeah, see. I'm sure you can. One of the things you were talking last night, over 10 years ago, I started a distillery. I don't know why. And I love that you, last night and then this morning as well, you said, when we had no money, mm-hmm. I still have no money. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it drives innovation. It drives efficiency, all of this. But I remember as I was getting into the industry, I hadn't found a location yet for the distillery. But someone sent me a paper. I didn't do any research on distilleries at all. Now I have, you know, a decade later. Someone sent me this, I think it was a New York Times piece, about this lost distillery that was revived, brought back to life, called, at the time, Bruick Ladich. <laughs> and the story was so inspiring to me 10 years ago. And you, you all have been very close to my, my thoughts in this whole way. And I, I, I only realized this last night when you were talking about the whiskeys and Bruick Ladich and all that. But that spirit the entrepreneurial, the punk rock attitude, make things work. That still exists today. Not much has changed, right, in terms of no. the way that you think and the creativity. And No, because, hell, that would be boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're, like, 20 years is a long time, but it's also a heartbeat. Right. It just, it goes really quick. And there's, we've got this great mixture of people that have been since the beginning, like mm-hmm. myself and Alan Logan. Adam's right. been there since 2006. Simon's been there since the beginning. And then you kind of attract people because of that. Uh-huh. They want to be a part of that. So even people that are coming in that are quite new, it's because they want to be part of that attitude and they've got that spark in their souls as yeah. well and they want to explore it. So do, that, that, That's great, actually. So do you think that because of the essence and the spirit and the way in which you, the folks think, Alan and Adam, it brings like-minded people together? That it finds these wayward souls that said, well, Brooklady was my, that was my calling. Yeah, I think culture is so important. And we have a culture, we have an energy. Mm. Um, and it's not necessarily that we all think alike, because in the early days, it was, you know, 
was fraught and passionate and, you know, messy and ugly and hard and brilliant and thrilling and exciting. And it's still like that a lot of the time. Um, the stakes are different, but we, whilst we're, a lot of us were different to each other and we have different political beliefs mm -hmm. and we're absolutely signed up. We are signed up for this. And not everybody, it doesn't work for everyone. We have yeah. people that come and, it, you know, we don't work, we're too loose or <laughs> and it doesn't suit them or we're too transparent or we don't have enough process or whatever. But I think culture is absolutely key. And that's the interesting thing. And if you look at studies, you know, of businesses, you know, it's like the third generation where it starts to unravel. So we're kind of like the unravel, second, okay. yeah, we're like the second generation. So we can, it's like, you know, even with family, you know what your parents went through mm -hmm. you know like my granny single parent and um had to work three jobs and my mum felt that very viscerally but she was very loved and adored and then i still remember that you know and we, we're in a great fortunate place now my kids will have a really different experience mm -hmm. so it's not as close so i think we're still second generation that 20 years is not that long ago that we don't remember mm. what it took to get us here and how important it was and what it was like before so it's still absolutely close to our hearts right. and it's so important now as the second generation you know to instill that culture and that passion so that it can go beyond to the third and the fourth without any unraveling. Yeah. Because we are only custodians. This is the thing with whiskey. Custodians, yeah. We are custodians. We are literally just footsteps in the sand. The Lynn McEwens will disappear. The Alan Logans will disappear. The Jim McEwens have now retired and doing other things. How do you create a culture that exists beyond any one human? Right. It's almost you like know? folklore. Those, exactly. Those tales you tell at the campfire. Exactly. I do wonder, I agree completely about culture, and I hadn't really thought about upon that third generation arriving that it unravels, but makes perfect sense. I would say that of all the Scotch distilleries, the most unique and the most compelling, playful, punk rock, and all of these culture of any distillery, Brooklady is so unique, and I, I just wonder, how did that even come about? How do you, because you don't manufacture it, right? It just exists, so that culture of, of innovation, curiosity, punk rockness, as I'm wearing this shirt, right? <laughs> where, do, where do you think that that came from? Well, I think if you go back and you look at Mark Rainier, you know, passionate about, you know, the terroir in France and shaking things up and picking fights with folk and <laughs> arguing with people on Twitter all the time. You look at, you know, you look at dad and, you know, this opportunity, 37 years with Pomore, which was amazing and incredible, and all of a sudden, you have no boundaries. Yeah. It's a long time to have a lot of creativity in your head. And Great then you point. can literally, you can do whatever the heck you want. You can w literally wake up in the morning and do, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, so you take these big personalities, Simon, like the original Bon Vivant. You know, he's just a wonderful, garrulous, you know, inspiring, gentle man who just loves great food and drink. And yeah. you throw all of that up. And all of us are loud, and all of us are opinionated. Um, then all of a sudden, it feels different. And it's also about like the thing with Brooklady is we've not really ever looked left to the right. I'm not really interested. I don't know a lot about lots of other whiskies. Okay. I'm sure they're cool and all. Yeah. But if you're looking left or right, you're not walking your own journey. I you see. are not walking your own path. It's like you're running a marathon. If you're mm -hmm. running a marathon 
yeah. you start looking left or right, you're losing time, man. You're not running your own race. Right. So for us, what's right for us might not be right for anybody else, but we have to run our own race. It, it really feels like that. There's this, pay, you know, when you talk about the more, right? It's a corporate shop, and I love it. It's good whiskey and all of that. You think of the Speyside stuff, whether it's uh, McAllen or Balvenie or whatever. None of it feels cool. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like, it's uh, just they're the good stuff. It's great whiskey. Yeah. They feel like squares to me. Yeah. And with this part, partial stake with Remy in the distillery, and we talked about this earlier, but did anything change did you lose a step did you lose that independence and that creativity we have to do a lot more powerpoints in excel (laughs) (laughs) that's the one thing that changed there's a lot of language internally that we have to use but no um it's like i was saying earlier you know there's that scene in braveheart it's just hold hold (laughs) and they bought us because they bought into that culture and that ideal and they were invested in the long term and I know that's not been everybody's experience when they've when they've sold. Right. You know, it, they've not been given the same parameters. But we have such a clear sense of self, and it was, um, you know, fiercely independent was something that we had written down in kind of our own internal manifesto. And the the chairman of the board of Remy at the time, when. Um, when they bought the distillery, said you must never take that off. You must never take mm, that mm. off your manifesto. You know, so we might not be an independent business in terms of we have a parent group, but it's absolutely that independent spirit that is the thread that runs through us all. And honestly, when we got sold to Remy, we always knew we were going to sell one day because there's only so far that you can get. Right. Because whiskey is such an extraordinarily complicated expensive. business. It's so expensive. Yeah. It takes so long to and the stakes are high really high and the more the bigger you get the more people you employ the more you're invested into the community the more the responsibility sits with you so you have to take that seriously so we always knew at some point we would need to sell but it was about selling to somebody that was absolutely invested in the long term and the advantage of the remy was with the cognac business they understand maturation they understand maturing stocks they sure. and they're still a family business and stubborn french people yeah, they really exactly. understand <laughs> so they were they absolutely were in it for the long term and then it was our job to absolutely put up the guardrails of no this is who we are and this is what we need to do mm. and they've been hugely supportive of that and now we're we're twice like the twice the staff that we had that's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, to have 90 people on the island working at the distillery, and that's everything from distillation, maturation, bottling, you know, our communications teams on the island. You know, our Instagram's done live from Isla. It's yeah. not done by some agency in the mainland. It's literally somebody driving to work and they might see something cool. And they're like, oh man, I'm going to put that out there. Uh, so it's a really authentic voice. And so you have this supply chain, all sorts of things are based on the island. And I'm passionate about the fact that whiskey may be our business, mm-hmm. maybe what we make, but you can use business as a force for good. If I've learned anything in the last 20 years is by making decisions through your values and through purpose and maintaining that fearsome sense of commitment to that, even when it's really, really, really excruciatingly hard, right. you can make real change. You can make change in your community. You can change things up in your industry. You can change 
lots of stuff. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about the next 20 years is, well, look what we've done already. Now our scope's even bigger. You know, what can we do for the next 20 years? Because it's not just about being attitudinal. You know, it's actually about leaving a legacy that's going to survive beyond. And that's it's reconnecting that land to the whiskey agricultural piece that's mm-hmm. not been talked about, you know. It's not just about terroir. We started talking about terroir because we were looking for flavour. But as soon as you step into, out of the commodity system and you start talking to farmers directly and understanding their challenges, you're like, whoa, I'm part of this system. Mm-hmm. I'm part of this agriculture system. The agricultural system, it's not always great, to be honest. Right. You know, the whole monoculture piece. So how, how are we going to approach that? How are we going to take ownership for our responsibilities? So I firmly believe that that purpose piece is so important. So, yeah, it was rock and roll and fierce in the beginning. And we are more mature now and we are, more, are attitudinal, but the stakes are higher. Yes. Right. But it still has to be freaking fun because nobody wants to feel guilty when they're drinking a whiskey. They want to feel like it's delicious and it's cool and it's gorgeous. But if it can also be done in a way that is super considered and really has its eyes wide open Mm -hmm. to the full impact, that's cool. It's, yeah, there's a duality there, right? Mm -hmm. Between having a cool thing, but having a responsibly cool thing, something to the community. Before we talk about the, the barley, which we've got to talk about that. How do you, do you enjoy what is I consider it because I was a musician a long time, lead singer, all this bullshit. What is a performance? So last night, obviously I'm not saying it's, it's an act or any of that, but how do you like the traveling? How do you like captivating a room, drinking whiskey? Is that something that you quite enjoy? Um, there's parts of it I love. Like last night, I'm actually much more chill about it than I used to be. I used to torture myself. About I think what? everybody does. What, think. what aspect? Well, just I think when you perform, and particularly if your name is Lynn McEwen, the <laughs> expectation is that you will, and you, you're not ever going to be Jim McEwen, yeah. ever. There yeah. is only one Jim McEwen, so there's an expectation. Um, not that I've ever worried about it too much, but I, you know, I think anybody that has to put themselves up on stage, and the only way to be good at performing, I believe, is to be vulnerable. I love that, yeah. I agree. And, and to be prepared to, I swear too much. I probably say the wrong thing a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I make an idiot of myself. I probably talk too fast. But that's the vulnerability I think people engage with yeah. because it's not polished. I don't know what I'm going to say till I stand up. I don't have a speech or anything. Right. But then you have things like last night and and it was funny because the other night as well we we, we did a Octomore vertical. And it was honestly, instead of doing, I did a little bit of speaking in between, but then I just went round the tables as mm-hmm. well. And I can tell you things about those people. Like we got really deep, yeah. like really deep. It was honestly like Octomore was this vehicle for a Pandora's box. Yes. I told them things, they told me things, and it was nothing about whiskey. It was just the whiskey was the vehicle that created this moment mm. where we all felt safe to, you know, just cheer. Yeah. And last night was different because it was more of a performance, but it doesn't feel like a performance when I'm doing it. It's just I get really, really excited about stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love when people ask questions and I love hearing their thoughts. So it doesn't feel like a performance. It just, I get excited. Yeah. I get really excited. 
And I'm like, okay, have I gone too far? Calm down, Lynn. Calm <laughs> down, you lunatic. You're just ranting. Or So, yeah, I don't think it's a performance. It's just... Do, there was a pattern when I, I was touring a little bit. And you go and you put it on. You talk, yeah. you connect, you're vulnerable, which is very exhausting, to be honest. What's the ritual like the day after? I know you talked about walking down South Congress, hanging out by the pool here. But do you need that equal time to relax? A hundred percent. And my dad's the same. We're both the same. And it's weird because my husband and my mum, uh-huh. they are a hundred percent open to people 24 hours all a day. The they are Amen. They are always on they get so excited to see people all the time whereas my dad and I will get to the point where my mum used to laugh like they'd have I don't know say a group of Japanese over in the house that would get to a point in the day and dad would start winding the clock forward (laughs) or he would just walk off and go up to bed and my mum would just be sitting there you know with these people and she'd be like your blooming father's left me again (laughs) because there's just a point where you're just done but I think that's just people um, so it's not that we're not totally in it and loving it at the time, but it does. You, I always, my husband always says I'm a cat and he's a Labrador. Yeah. So I need to just go and chill out and be silent, and he's happily dancing about the place all the time. My mum's the same, you know, really excitable, all the same. And dad, we just need chill out. It's That's just right. people, though. It's just people. Um, we enjoy all the engagement, but yes, you do need to go and and that's where books for me are great. That's so. that's the the way you find. Solace yeah. and peace in reading. Yeah, I'll just curl up in a wee corner and read a book and I will expand a different part of my brain mm. and that will get me thinking about things which will fire off different things. And as I say, it always comes back to work. I think, oh, right, cool. And then the energy comes back. Yeah, I love that. And I think that people, t- uh, those events like last night, right? Very connective because much of the time maybe we spend interacting with other people, at least in the States, at least in Austin, Texas, it's virtual. Text yeah. message, Facebook, Twitter, you know. But the last vestige of culture, I think, is that you have to experience in person as cocktails. Artwork, I think, too. You know, you can see a reproduction and a picture on your phone of some great Gauguin or Rothko painting, but you can't sip Octomore on a text message. You know what I mean? Oh, no, 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 no. And that, but that's, that's the wonderful thing about whiskey. I mean, whiskey cocktails are brilliant. And, you know, I can see sitting here in Austin where it's 35 degrees. You want something <laughs> cold and refreshing. And yeah. the great thing about our whiskeys is they're so full-bodied and rich. You ca- they can carry, they can withstand that and exist within a cocktail. But when you drink a whiskey neat, mm. you literally have to slow down. Yeah. So, therefore, you literally slow down, which makes the conversation slow down. You have to look people in the eye. Right. Uh, it's not something you shoot. You know, it's it's made from barley, one of the the richest flavor compounds there is in grains. Mm-hmm. So it does generate a different energy, which is much more conversive right. rather than, you know, as a, a picture on Instagram or something like that. Right. So yeah, that's that's the cool thing about whiskey. It's very evocative in that way. It is very, and that's the thing, evocative. It smells amazing because so it instantly changes the room. You're like, oh wow. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> and then it develops over time. You're like, what am I smelling now? And Wow, how has that opened up? And Why do I want to keep drinking exactly. whiskey? What's going on? Yeah, it's cool. There's just You can fall into the world of whiskey and never fall out. It's the ultimate Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole. That's right. But it's a great place. Or the Shining Maze. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> that too. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This would be a circuitous way for me to talk about that. I love barley, but for whatever reason, in the past couple of weeks, I've had conversation about geese. <laughs> That's weird. I'm not gonna lie. That is weird. You need to, you need to consider that. Well, I'll tell you what the context was. Everybody that I've talked to about the geese, apparently, have had a confrontational story about the geese. Really? Yeah, I've, I had a geese. Goose, rather, tried to fight me. Really? So did this other person I was talking about. What, did you steal their wallet or something? It was a... You know how drunk alpha males get <laughs> I've met drunk alpha males before, yeah? And it's like, this is my room. How dare you yeah. to, to divert attention, you know? That's kind of what it felt like. I walked into this this nice, beautiful kind of lake and stuff, and this the, go- the goose just... He locked eyes with me. And he's like, fuck this guy. And so he, yeah. he followed me and came out... The reason I mentioned the, the geese is something I didn't realize is that in order for the Isle of Barley to survive, I didn't know geese loved barley so much. They do. And you have to drive very, very far into the season to plant so that the geese don't kill all the barley, right? Yeah, they can devour. It's, they can devour an entire field in the morning. Um, so we do have to plant later than you would on... Um, on the mainland, and also Isla has this migratory population of mm-hmm. barnacle geese that come across. Oh, so they spend so there's thousands and thousands. So a lot of Isla is an RSPB reserve, RSPB, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. Mm-hmm. So they are protected, the birds, um, the geese in particular. Um, so yeah, they come over. They have their, they spend their winters in Isla because yeah. it's more, it's milder, and. As we, the Isla Barley project has grown, actually more and more of the birds are staying all year long now. Oh, really? Um, so it's just something that we have to factor in. But generally we wait. It's quite funny. We have to wait till the last little goose has packed up his suitcase, turned out the lights, <laughs> taken off, and then we go, okay, we can go. Do you th- I suspect they know they got it good. Oh, that's, some pre- of them are staying now. Some of them are like, this is... This is great. You yeah. seem to be pe- making the perfect home for me. I'm going to stay. It's cozy. It's not too cold. I, I have loads of this food here. It's really good. You, you don't seem to harass me too much. So, yeah, we've made up goose paradise. Are they, are they nice? Because going back to, you know, I've had a lot of I think, goose uh, yeah, confrontations. I think they, they, they're really nice. Okay. They're, they're not, I don't know what kind of goose you're hanging out with. <laughs> and, you know, maybe you should think about that. It, it could be me. It really <laughs> it could. could. <laughs> it could be you. Generally, they're more afraid of us than we are of them. So yeah. as soon as you go near them, they will take off. Um, so, yeah. I like yeah. that. So, no, the, bar- the Barley Project is, you know, it's grown substantially. So it's another one of these things that it's, we need to protect it and make sure that the longevity of it is, is really considered and it, and it works for everyone. Yeah. When you mentioned what is that duality be- between having a great whiskey, something you enjoy, but also giving back maybe to the community or ethically making it, right? And you said the barley efforts to grow on Isla, it's changing and growing profoundly every year, the more and more, or is it a, a fixed plot of land? We, we will never get to um, 100% barley on Isla. There's just not enough land. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also probably wouldn't be right as well. Um, and it that's something that we have to think about and we're working with the farmers on is... You know, a lot of the farmers are crofters. They don't own the land. Mm-hmm. So the land could be taken back by the estates as well. So it's tied up with ownership. 
um, land ownership. It's tied up with so many things that go way beyond just whiskey. Yeah. And again, this is the thing that you realise after 20 years in the business. It's never, it's never just, oh, let's go and grow barley. It's like, well, who owns that land? And how are they managing that land? And will that land stay in their ownership? And what if it doesn't? And then they don't want to do this anymore. Right. And it's tied up in so much more geopolitical things as well. Mm. Um, because much of Scotland is still a feudal system. So I didn't know that. The, yeah, it's, it's very complex. So change doesn't happen quickly. Right. I think I want to talk about Pete for a second. Because Pete, to me, has never been offensive. <laughs> it, it was something that I wanted to. I'll use David Lynch as an example, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. And I love film. Don't get me wrong. I'm not really sure many of David Lynch's movies are good, <laughs> <laughs> but they're sure shit fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And he's he's going for something, you know. And if you go along for the journey, maybe interpret it certain ways, metaphors, all this, you find a deeper meaning in it. So that's how I feel about Pete, right? That I w I'm willing to peel it back discover explore but you traveling having these whiskey tastings is pete something that's incredibly polarizing for people because port charlotte to me is the, the most nuanced and delicate peated whiskey there, that there is yeah yes it is polarizing for people still there will people that will very often say i don't like isla whiskeys they're actually saying they don't like the flavor of smoke because right. isla is not a flavor profile no Isla is a people Buna and it's Haben, a place. Just for instance. Right? Bunnahaven yeah. is unpeated. Bruchladi is unpeated. Mm -hmm. But we also make a peated whiskey. But what they also, a lot of them are saying is they don't like the specific kind of iodine quality that some of the other Isla malts are famous for. Right. And, um, and that, for some people, is their jam. That's exactly <laughs> the flavor profile they're looking for. Yeah. But for other people, it puts them off for life. And um, and that's, I totally agree, Port Charlotte. The number of people that have said, I don't like that style of whiskey, and you let them taste Port Charlotte. Right. And they're like, wow, because it's a much, much more heathery, barbecue, sweeter smoke. Yeah. It's completely different. So I think it's, um, people should explore more because there's a lot more nuance within Pete than people would imagine. Right. Yeah, I think that it's actually a metaphor for, how we treat each other we judge each other and we don't always go and look deeper and i feel like people that appreciate pete have the personalities that absolutely are peering and they want to understand they want to have more empathy with with folks so this was your first time in austin yeah yes yesterday i'm i'm less than 24 hours in austin You've been to Texas before or no? Yes. Ironically, the very first time I came to America was to Dallas. Really? Yes. Whiskey stuff or fun stuff? Whiskey stuff. Yeah. I came into Dallas and I left for Dallas. So that was my first experience. Yeah. It's been pretty hospitable so far. Yeah. Oh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And the knowledge has been incredible. Like, I, I still find it absolutely incredible that we I travel around the world and people know so much about my little distillery on... Mm this tiny wee island it's amazing and you know so warm so hospitable to go to moonshine last night yeah. and ken and company make kiki and dave um you know joe at moonshine like to hear him speak about moonshine and what it means to him and their journey as well that's that that is i, I can absolutely feel that that is 
exactly how I feel about the distillery. So there is that kinship that he talks about. Right. That kinship goes beyond whiskey. It just it's it's in the way you treat people. And you know, I've only been in America the last few days, but everywhere I've gone, I felt that kinship. Mm. You know, whiskey was the the thread that pulled us together. Right. But actually, it's so much more that keeps you together. I love that. Yeah, it, it is the thing, the initial attraction that brings us together. Yeah. But then it's we a curiosity realize, as well. It, yeah. it comes back to the beginning that, you know, they know so much because they were curious. Right. They're curious. But everybody's fun as well. And that's the thing. Curiosity with fun. That's a really interesting mix. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I agree. And I think that it's, in essence, the charm of hospitality. Mm-hmm. 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 Nobody last night... The, whether it was the dinner or the tasting down below at Kinfolk, no one was a tight ass. <laughs> no. I mean? Everyone was open, curious, and it was a group of us that were working together to yeah. explore. You, can you even think of any other industry that you would want to work in, knowing that you've done this for 20 plus years? No. I don't, like, to be clear, I'm a lifer. I'm a Brickladi lifer. Yeah. I don't care what job I do at Brookladdy. I will just be here for life. Mm-hmm. So I'm not leaving Brookladdy. Never mind leaving. They might want to get rid of me <laughs> and they can try really hard, but I am a 100% a lifer. So not only do I not want to leave the industry, I'm not leaving Brookladdy because I have too much to do. There's so much cool stuff we need to do. But no, I let's be honest. People who get into the spirits industry don't generally leave and the ones that do fight really hard to come back that's right because it's all about that hospitality it's all about you know the culture it's so convivial you know you meet so many interesting people it's it, it gives you a gateway to the world mm-hmm. to travel mm-hmm. to culture so yeah what are you gonna sell toilet paper <laughs> you know you get it well once. i heard it was on the short supply well you know, yeah so it, it might have been but a good business you know that's 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 not for us no that's not for us ever consider going into private practice for the psychology or any of that no no (laughs) (laughs) absolutely no i'd be terrible at it really yeah why do you think that no i i wouldn't be terrible at it i'm um um, i really enjoy working with the team Mm. in the distillery and i'm kind of the internal provocateur Ah. and the motivated as well and i really enjoy the fact that we've got younger people in now and just working with them and managing as they grow up and experience different things and different challenges and having the experience now to go, it's going to be fine. When it's you all s- going to be okay. Of course. When you say provocateur, is that equivalent to maybe disruption? Yeah, I That's like, what to, you I like to challenge us to, why don't we do more? Why don't we do this? Why don't we try, why don't we try that? Which starts a conversation which mm. goes, and very often the conversation goes, yeah, let's do it. You know, like the transparency campaign 2016, that was, you know, Compass Box kicked it off. Yeah. But we were already working on it in the background. So when Compass Box came out and said, we're going for transparency, we were like, oh, we're, we're so close. And we were able to say, <laughs> yeah, we completely 100% agree because we were already putting all the recipes for Classic Laddie online, yeah. you know. And it's funny because Dad never wanted to do that so because he re- retired in 2015. So we kind of had to wait till dad retired because dad was very much of the opinion that, look, I'm the head distiller. I don't need to tell you everything. And we're like, no, the world has changed. I'm like, dad, come on. We just need to put it all out there. So I've had conversations with him since and he gets it now. Oh, really? But at the time he was, um, no, you just have to trust me. I know what I'm doing. Like that, that worked to a certain generation, but it doesn't work anymore. Mm. People want 
to have the full transparency because there's a lot you're very your integrity is without question but that's not the case with everybody that's right so yeah. unless we all operate from a perspective of transparency then everybody's integrity can be questioned what and it feels like john got a lot of shit for being so transparent yeah. you know working on that stuff so maybe in a way it was good he took the hit on it but i do agree that that eternal pursuit of transparency and obviously with all the, all the efforts for on the, the isla barley the different kind of casks that of course maybe you don't men- mention the chateaus and all that but i feel like y'all are pretty transparent and but i do i do i'm curious when it comes to flavors right mm-hmm. so you're a disruptor provocateur like you said was there ever something you said we need to make something like this is that ever the the stance you take no because no. <laughs> <laughs> again that comes back to you're comparing yourself to someone else we need to make something like person joe's made right that's why would you do that because that's already been done yeah you know it's much more of a like i was explaining last night like using the casks we didn't know how that was going to work out you know using that cast for five weeks and then it was bright pink yeah. my goodness well we're now 20 years into it so we know how to work that out now you know the beer barley we had no idea how to mash the beer barley the rye we mm-hmm. had no idea how to mash the rye but we knew it would support the isla barley project so we worked out a way to do it so it's not about creating what somebody else has done it's it's conversations that happen it's things you're trying to achieve and then ultimately they take you down a path you didn't necessarily know you were going down that path right you didn't know that you know isla barley would one day make you grow rye because that's going to support the project yeah. you didn't know that you know you know like one you know getting good quality barrels wasn't you couldn't get them from spain at the time mm-hmm. so actually well, where could we get them well let's go to france yeah it was never a lot of it is it's, it looks like it's all super, like, thought through. That's right, right yeah. like pre, pre-planned and all yeah, that. Yeah, and it's not. It's more like, here's a challenge. What are we going to do about this? Yeah. Let's work this out. I love that. Because, again, going back to those early days, I'm going to use this phrase again. When we didn't have any money. Yeah. You just make it work. Exactly. And I love that mentality because the show must go on. Yeah. And that's something that, again... Besides the creative energy and the culture that I get from Brooke Laddie, there's also a wiry willingness to fight. You know mm. those folks, you know, they'll always survive because they're going to always fight to survive. I feel like that innately exists in everybody at the distillery. Like, we're going to make this thing work no matter how difficult it is. I think ownership is key to that. And I don't mean, like, like financial ownership. Yeah. Like, we not, might not financially own the business in the way we once did but it's mine yeah. it's adam's yeah it's alan's I love that. it's douglas's it's simon's mm-hmm. you know it's fraser's it's robert's it's emma's it's ours yeah and i think when you've got a sense of ownership of something that totally changes the way that you approach it we're not going from company to company and trying different things and that's cool that's for some people that's where they learn yeah. that, that that diversity of experience is really really important the ownership that a lot of us feel is absolutely paramount to moving it forward because it means that your failures are your own and your successes are your own. And also failure is the only way you're going to learn. Right. You have to fail. You have to fail and you have to fail forward and just keep moving. And actually your failures will probably be the, the greatest lessons that you will ever have. 
Do do you think? And as far as I've known, the distillery for some years now, I haven't really seen a misstep, whether it was in branding or bottling. But I agree that failures are the point of which you really truly learn from, right? And if you never make a mistake, you're never going to learn anything. Have there been any, in terms of products, any missteps that you've seen with Brooklady over the years? <laughs> I think, well, the one that Simon <laughs> would say is the only one that he, he's really not proud of is the Celtic Nations we did a thousand years ago. It was with uh, a vatting of Cooley with Brooklady. And it wasn't so much that Cooley, the liquid... really? Cooley. Yeah. It wasn't so much that the liquid was bad. It wasn't. It was just the packaging was so not us. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that packaging. Because it, it was done by a particular way of a particular person and it was just so not us it was yeah. so not us um so no, we haven't like there's no products that we've put out that i'm not proud of the liquid because that's always been paramount and we haven't necessarily failed but we've not really always known what we were doing yeah. <laughs> so we've just <laughs> taken those risks and if there was a failure we were all safe in the comfort that there wasn't going to be a blame culture right, right. there wasn't going to be a oh my god you screwed up there it was it's cool yeah. we'll just keep we'll just keep going we'll <laughs> just keep moving and um you know dad is always such a positive person and simon's just such a pragmatist really he's simon's one of these people you sit in a meeting and he's so garrulous and he's so outgoing but when you're in a meeting or something he doesn't really say anything mm. and he just lets you all like wrestle it he, he's, and talk he's observing it out. right and he's observing and he's just sitting there and then he, in one sentence, will sum up the entire thing. You're like, oh, my God, he's nailed it. I'm such a tube. Unbelievable. And I love he just, that. And he just put kind of, it's like his mic drop moment. We're like, okay, cool. You're totally right. We, we could have got there like 35 minutes ago because that was clearly the answer. Um, in, in the dynamic of the crew, and I've got just a few questions left for you, but you say provocateur. Is that your role in the dynamic because it's a motley crew of people with different skill sets different talents ways that they think is that what you bring to the table to according encourage? to douglas that's my <laughs> role my i'm an he calls he told me that recently my superpower is the fact that my i'm an internal provocateur um so it's not again it was not ever a deliberate path my job is the job i have ended up doing and it wasn't a particular, ooh, I'm going to do this and right. thought through and very considered. It was, I ended up, I, I kind of find spaces. I kind of find spaces and I find things that we're not doing. Oh, why are we not doing that? Why are we not doing that? And why are we not getting rid of the secondary packaging? And why are we not considering about this? And what about B Corp? And what about that? Why are we not doing these things? So he gets he gets a lot of little bits of paper saying here. And he's like, oh my God, will you leave me alone? Because <laughs> it's all very well and good having ideas. Yes. Ideas are great, mm. but as Alan Logan will say, it's very good, Lynn. How are we going to do that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Because he's so totally he's operations. So grounded, right? yeah. He's just, Alan is the per Everybody needs an Alan. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what the pressure is. Alan can just, he can just fix it. He yeah. just brings it. He's such an Elach. Yeah. He's just that ultimate sense of calm. You know, he worked with Dad for a long time, but he also worked with Duncan McGilvery. You know, and Duncan McGilvery, that partnership of Dad and Duncan, well, we've got that with Adam and Alan now as well. Mm. You need a running mate. You need to take those superpowers and bring them together. And Alan is absolutely the, he's the backbone of stability. 
and he will make it happen. He mm. might argue with you about mm. why it's a terrible idea, but once he's on board, you have 100% confidence that will happen. I love that. And that's brilliant. And you need that bit of everything. Because if you just had a bunch of Lynn McCunes running around going, why not? <laughs> it would be terrible. Yeah. You need that balance of everything. And that's what Dad and Duncan do. Like, I'll never forget there was, um, it was like a whiskey festival or some big massive event we were going to have at, like a long, long time ago. And Dad said, well, we need, he woke, literally woke up in the morning and it was the next day and he said, we need to have a wet weather option. So we're going to do it above, above the mill house. Uh-huh. The problem is there's no staircase. You can't get up there okay. anymore. And he said to Duncan, we need, we, you need to build a staircase. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? He's like, you need to go and build a staircase. And Duncan went, oh, hell is hell's bells. Hell's bells. <laughs> and they literally did. Oh, and wow. one day, the whole team, they parked an articulated lorry beside the wall and they just used pallets and they put in by the end of the day it had a railing it Holy had the crap. whole night and it went to i mean this the height of this thing was ridiculous and it was just perfect it was dad had the idea but it was duncan that delivered it yeah and he did it and it didn't cost money we had the articulated lorry we had the pallets so we just made it happen i love that you know and they built it in the pouring rain it was just <laughs> the most it was like seeing the pyramids built yeah you're like wow <laughs> I am seeing an actual feat of engineering there and hundreds of people went up it. It's just amazing. Oh, I love that. So you need a bit of you need a bit of everything to make the world go round. I agree and I I love that the team is a team. Yeah. You know, everybody brings their particular skill set and their talents to it. And that's this is the thing that seems really clear to me. It's it's you could say it's not it's run from everybody. Everybody together yeah. making it like a communal thing. Yeah, and I can feel that with every drop that I taste. Some distilleries, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a, vi- a single visionary that's like, y'all fucking just listen to me. I'm gonna make this thing, yeah. and you can taste that. You know, the art reflects differently about the culture. All right, so I got two questions left for you. And let's say you're anywhere in the world, doesn't matter, and you're drinking Octomore, maybe the the latest one. We've got one in front of us, ten one. Let's say it doesn't matter. Octomore is always lovely. And you could have a dram with anybody. Actually, because you're such a reader. <laughs> if you could have an Octomore dram with any writer, living or deceased, who might you like to have a dram with and a conversation? Ooh. That's a good question. That's a good question. Any writer. Mm-hmm. Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh, okay. going a bit of an adventure. Sure. Getting a, going on a bit of adventure. I love Robert Louis Stevenson. I mean, a lot of them are kids' books, but yeah. they're just adventuresome. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're just adventuresome, and they're still relevant today. And yeah, I think he'd probably enjoy a good dram. And he's from another time, so I yeah. learn stuff because I'm curious. Like, what sure. what is it like? What was it like back then? Right. How, where did you get these ideas? And why are you drinking so much rum? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can drink. Well, I'll teach him how to drink whiskey. There we go. And um, he can tell me adventuresome stories. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Maybe Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. All right. So my last question for you. There are many really key takeaways about the brand, which I think we've discussed, and people get a real good insight into how the team works, your particular role in the team and everything. But you're off to Dallas next, you said, right? Yeah. You have a room full of strangers, let's say. Mm -hmm. Of course, they become mates by the end of the night. What's the main thing you want them to understand about Brooklady? What's that main takeaway that if nothing else, 
they leave and they know about the distillery. That whiskey can be so much more than just a dram. Yeah. It can be, our business is so much more than just an amazing whiskey. Yeah. And so in having a dram of Brooklady, you should appreciate that. You could, you should appreciate, I would like you to appreciate that, you know, the impact it has in the community, the changes that through the vehicle of this whiskey, the changes that have been made, but could be made. Yeah. Because if you, if we all make choices and we put our money behind businesses and brands and, you know, things that are, that are doing things differently, we're actually opting for a different type of business. Right. We are saying, I believe that in your values and what you believe in, as opposed to making choices just based on convenience. Yeah. And I get that, like particularly it's so hard right now, the inflation is through the roof. Mm-hmm. And luxury will always, uh, sorry, whiskey will always be a luxury product. You don't need whiskey. We can all survive. Wait, hang on, man. <laughs> I think that... <laughs> We need it for our souls. That's right. We need it for our souls. But it is it is a luxury, you know, and we're incredibly privileged to not only be part of the industry, but be able to be able to afford to participate in it. Yeah. But yeah, whiskey can be so much more than a dram. And at Brucladi, it really is. I love it. And my life is different because of Brucladi. And maybe yours could be too. Okay, I'll have, I'll have I would, I'd, you know what, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think my life is slightly more colorful. There you go. Because of Brooklyn. Ah. And the, the, and the amazing Is it slightly people. more aqua blue? <laughs> well, I'm a very emotional guy. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> the aqua blue is good, just the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, in to, to, you know, to the final point, Port Charlotte is so inspiring to me that I knew that I needed to make a scent with it. There you You know go. what I mean? So that I feel like part of the, the family, and I love that, that. Yeah. It's not so corporate that I don't get to know the heart and soul of the distillate or the place. And it's one of those few brands that really does that well. <clears throat> there are not a lot of whiskey brands that make you feel part of the family. Oh, well, we're that. lucky to have you as part of the family. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a terrible drunk. So we'll, we'll, we'll see <laughs> <laughs> how it all goes. But Lynn, thanks so much. Thank you very much. That was to, lovely. And yeah. we, we didn't even drink that much whiskey. We, we sipped. We better get on that. We, we like, exactly. Let's turn it off and get really messy. There you go. <laughs> Talk soon. Cheers. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, there we have it, Lynn McEwen from Brook Laddie Distillery, the wee island of Isla. They make some great scotch, peated and unpeated. Great vocabulary. You know, I listen to the words that people use to express themselves, and you can tell that Lynn is a voracious, as she put it, reader. I had heard the word garrulous many, many times, but I've never, I don't really use it, but she used it twice, and I think that this is a, you know, if you listen to these conversations, I'm learning things that I didn't think I was going to learn. I'm learning vocabulary here. Very, very charming, open, and I thought she did a ton of interviews, but this is one of the few podcast interviews, if ever, that she's done, so I feel very, very lucky, privileged to spend that time in that beautiful Hotel Magdalena in Austin, that lobby there, drinking a wee bit of scotch at about 10.30 in the morning. I'll leave you with this last piece that I find hilarious. I do TikTok reviews, and I try to do all the kinds of categories of spirits, and I reviewed Dark Arts Brooklady. I can't remember which year it was, and someone corrected me and they said no it's pronounced Bruicladic. And instead of me saying well i talked to the people at the distillery at least once a month and have interviewed about three folks that work there instead of saying that which is true i said okay thanks for the feedback 
This is a metaphor, I assure you. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how interesting and intriguing this new pizza making show is, I don't know what network it is, I don't know Hulu is, or if you're getting super excited for Halloween, as I'm sure many of us are, please keep dancing.